1,659. It's also in your large print sheets. Revelation chapter 4, page 1,659. We'll be reading this chapter in its entirety. Revelation chapter 4. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne, thunderings and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and by thy will they exist and were created. Well, my friends, we come now to what one preacher has said is the, the point of no return in the book of Revelation. Why do we say that? Well, the first three chapters of Revelation are relatively easier than the last 19 chapters, shall we say. Because now we've got all kinds of figures of speech, all kinds of things that we're going to be dealing with 
as uh, we go through the rest of this book. We've already considered, of course, the first scene of this book in chapters 1 through 3, having to do with the revelation of Christ. And then, of course, also uh, the, um, uh, the letters to those seven churches that, where Christ himself is addressing those seven churches of Asia Minor. But chapter 4 then begins the second scene. And the book unfolds before its audience with curtains rising every so often to reveal a new setting or a new perspective. And that's exactly what we find here. Uh, so this is, a, this is a scene. You know, you have, uh, you have a play in several acts and you have several scenes within that play. Or within a movie. And so now we're coming to a new scene in this great drama, if you will, of the book of Revelation. And so we read in verse 1 of chapter 4, after these things I looked. After these things I looked. And so the question then is, after what things? After what things? Well, first of all, as we mentioned, the manifestation of the Christ and then also his speaking to the churches by means of John. So after those things, and now we're having been through that scene, if you will, we're now, with these curtains, we're now sort of um, drawing back the curtains to see what's going on behind the scenes that have already been painted for us. And so now we're, we're going deeper, if you will, in terms of what is actually going on. And so that's what we find here in Revelation 4. Notice he says, after these things I looked, I looked. John experienced a vision. This is a vision, and what he saw must therefore be interpreted symbolically. It has to be interpreted symbolically. So after these things I looked, and behold, a door opened in heaven. Now, this is one of the clues that a change of scene is about to take place. There's a new revelation that is being done here. God is about to let John see what really happens. It's kind of like being invited into Supreme Headquarters. Let's say during World War II, okay, my father served in the map-making section, a liaison uh, section uh, in 7th Corps headquarters during World War II. And so you can imagine then, if you were in headquarters, you would have an overview of the battle. And you'd have an overview, and you'd have maybe little stick pins, you know, or you'd have some sort of representation on a map to show where your troops were and to show where the enemy troops were. And to also show what you intended to do in terms of winning that next battle. Well, in a sense, that's what we have here. God is opening the door for us to see. Of course, we can't fully understand, can't fully grasp. We'll never be able fully to know all that is going on. But for us to see at least a bit of his plan. And so it's being like, invi it's like being invited into Supreme Headquarters, getting to see the flags which tell what units are where. Well, how do we get that knowledge? Of course, we get that knowledge, my friends, only by revelation. 
only by God revealing it to us. And that's what we have here. So he saw a door standing open in heaven. And then he says, um, And the first voice which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me. The first voice, this from all appearance, is a reference to the Son of Man, that is to say to Christ, the second person of the Trinity. So he is the one who is giving this, this summons, if you will, and is escorting John to the door so he can see. Also the trumpet, which is also a summons. It's one of the purposes of having a trumpet. You know that, again, to use uh, army figures, army uh, uh, realities, uh, the trumpet is often played to summon people to battle or maybe to wake them up in the morning. I won't get up, I won't get up, I won't get up. This morning, right, as the trumpet sounds. Um, but it's a summons, and so therefore you have the voice, but you have the trumpet as well, giving a clear and certain sound. And then we see also in verse 1, the end of it, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Come up here, Jesus says to John. Again, the Lord was inviting the apostle to see something of the divine order and plan. That is to say, what must take place in the future. And so why is it that uh, it, it must take place in the future? Well, because it is according to God's decree, divine decree. God's ordaining whatsoever things come to pass. So it must take place in the future. But also there is a compelling nature to that which God ordains, that which must take place. But what especially will be revealed, and this is so important, for us to understand the whole book of Revelation. What especially will be revealed is the great victory of Christ in the future. And this is that's where this is all leading. This is where it's all going. So there will be many, many battles, if you will, many scenes of, of fighting and of all kinds of strange figures and so forth as we go through the book of Revelation. But the end of it all is to use the Latin phrase in the Middle Ages, Christus Victor. Christ is the victor. Christ victorious. Christ is the winner. Christ is the champion. That's what it's all about. And so therefore, we see then, this is what is being revealed. <clears throat> immediately, according to John, verse 2, immediately he says, I was in the Spirit. Now, remember this term, I was in the Spirit, on the Lord's Day, appears back in chapter 1 and verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet and so forth. And of course, we remember from looking back at chapter 1 that when he says, I was on the, in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, it was a reference to his gathering for worship on the first day of the week, on the Christian Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, if you will. Um, in other words, he was engaged in worship. And here in chapter 4, we also see worship as well. 
Immediately, he says, I was in the spirit. This refers to being caught up in this ecstatic, prophetic experience, excited experience. Now, let's be very clear. This does not mean that it was irrational. It wasn't, this is not, I mean, obviously, he's going to be, we're going to be talking about things, using words. We can express these things by words. But on the other hand, there was still an experience that he was having at the same time. And can you imagine what it was for John to have this experience? We're going to be talking about it more extensively in just a moment, but do you remember? The one sitting on the throne, like a, a jasper and a sardius stone, a rainbow, 360-degree rainbow, 24 thrones, 24 elders with white robes, crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne, lightnings, thunderings, voices, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. There was a sea of glass like crystal. And four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back imagine if you were in John's sandals can you imagine what it was like to have this vision to have this experience but my friends I want to ask you this question do you understand that what he saw is a glimpse of what goes on during every worship service This is a glimpse of what goes on during every worship service. The presence of the angels. We join the angels in worship. And the glorious God on his throne. Why is it important, children, boys and girls, why is it important to come to church? Because God wants us to worship him but also because we should desire to worship him. And with the eyes of faith, therefore, as, we are, as we've invoked God's presence, as we have come into a special presence, as we gather week by week, that is what we should, with the eyes of faith, be seeing. That we are joining with the angels in heaven. It is one continuum of praise. So, can you imagine what it was like for John? But my friends, do you understand, therefore, that what he saw through this vision is what we, with the eyes of faith, should be able to see and why it is so important to be here, to be reverent, to sit quietly before him in order to hear his word read and preached to us, and then in order to sing his praise. Well, we see then, as we come on here, the first major point is God and his throne. Notice, behold, verse 2, and behold, a throne set in heaven. This word throne appears 17 times in chapters 4 and 5. They're like twin chapters. But what's the significance of the throne? Of course, you know, who, who sits on a throne? Well, a king sits on a throne. Someone who rules sits on a throne. And the point here that is being made by this revelation in chapter 4 is that the throne is the very center of the universe. 
What we find here, then, is the ethical reality that God rules over all, and that all created reality, all of creation, revolves around him and his throne. That's the point. God is sovereign. God is the one who has foreordained whatsoever things come to pass. God is the one who's directing all events. All events. Does that include people sabotaging locks so we couldn't get into church today? Yes, God was sovereign over that too, wasn't he? He's sovereign over all things, directing all events for our good and ultimately for his glory. So we, for example, what good comes from that experience we had today with the locks? Well, we're reminded of the sinful world that we live in. We're reminded of the hatred that is had for us by folks in the world that would do such a thing. We're reminded of how dependent we are upon God. We're reminded of what a blessing it is to be able to worship here in this building week by week, unlike our brothers and sisters in China and in other places who are persecuted for their faith and can't gather for worship. Reminded of a lot of things, aren't we? We're reminded that maybe we need to pray for the person or persons who did that, right? It's an overall created reality. The mention of the throne also, by the way, brings to mind the temple and the tabernacle. You remember that on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, you had that mercy seat. You remember that? And you remember the display of the glory of God on that mercy seat? Remember that? Remember uh, Exodus uh, chapter uh, 25? Exodus uh, chapter 25, when God was giving Moses uh, the idea of, of how to build the ark, he says, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from, before, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So you got the ark, this box, which the Ten Commandments would be placed. And then you've got two figures, two, the two cherubim, these angels, with their wings extended. And there you've got the mercy seat. They're overlooking the mercy seat, which is where the blood would be sprinkled in the Holy of Holies. But it was also the place where God specially manifested himself, in mercy to be sure, but also in terms of his rule. That's why he says here, I'm going to, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. It is, in a sense, the, the footstool of God. You remember also in the temple, you remember, uh, we'll be reading this, uh, Lord willing, next week from Isaiah chapter 6, but do you remember when uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the temple, you see, 
I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And so the mention of the throne brings to mind the temple or the tabernacle. But notice also that this throne that is mentioned here, it is a throne that is set in heaven. And not the atmosphere, when we talk about heaven here, not the place of the stars, no, the third heaven, the third heaven, from this heavenly vantage point, God rules over all. And so God is the one who is sitting on, or behold, a throne, and now secondly, in terms of God and his throne, we see the one who is on the throne. It is God the Father. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is represented separately. I was in the Spirit, John says. And remember also that it is the Son of God, it is Jesus, who is the one who has led John up into heaven. And he is the Lamb who is in this scene, is beside the throne. Chapter 5, verse 6. Um, but... Um, the God then is God the Father particularly is the one who is pictured, God the Father particularly is the one who is pictured as the one who rules over all creation. Now God himself cannot be physically pictured or comprehended. God is a spirit, Jesus says, or God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You cannot see God. This is one of the reasons why, because we cannot picture him, why we're not to make representations of God. But nevertheless, we see something of his glory here. We see his brightness taken to the extreme, like a full moon. You ever been out on a night and the moon is full? And it's almost like it's daytime because it is shining so much? Well, in a sense, that's the picture that you have here. And there are two stones that are pictured, two stones, jasper and sardius. Now, the jasper is a chalcedony. It's a translucent quartz. In the book of Revelation, it is crystal clear, chapter 21, verse 11. It is expressive of the holiness of God. And it could also, now I'm sure you know what a, what a prism is, where you have light that shines through and it creates like a rainbow effect. It could also indicate a prism effect, pointing to the great variety of the attributes of God. But then at the same time, you have the sardius or sardine, which is also a chalcedony, but this stone is bloody red. And that is a symbol of justice. That is a symbol of God's holiness in judgments. And so we see then the picture of God, or at least his glory here, by means of this vision. He who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. But notice there's a further description of the throne and part of that description revolves around a rainbow. Now, we read today from Genesis chapter 9. And children, you know that in that great historical account of the universal flood, that God gave a bow in the sky, a rainbow, promising that no longer would he destroy the earth by water. That doesn't mean we don't have local floods, 
like the Johnstown, Pennsylvania flood and other or Mississippi River flooding, other instances of that. But as far as a worldwide destruction, such would not be the case. And it's his promise. It's his promise in the sky. And of course, you know that there are seven colors to the rainbow. But here, did you notice that it doesn't, this rainbow doesn't have seven colors. It has only one. It is green. It is emerald in color. It is emerald, which points to God's mercy, which points to new life budding forth. And the fact that there is a rainbow, and particularly an emerald rainbow, and particularly a 360-degree rainbow, it's around the throne. From eternity to eternity, we see then the affirmation of God's mercy. The sun, long hidden, is shining through the clouds, and there is hope. But at the same time, we also have lightning and thunder from the throne. And we see here God's rule and sovereignty at the same time. We see God's awesome holiness as was revealed to the children of Israel in Exodus 19 just before the giving of the Ten Commandments. We see his majestic power as we sang this afternoon from Psalm 29 about how God is the one who sends the lightning, and the thunder. And we also have seven lamps of fire. Seven lamps of fire. Said to be the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God. Now seven, as you know, is the number of perfection. And when it says seven spirits of God, well, again, this is not saying there's more than one Holy Spirit. It's saying that the Holy Spirit that is being referred to here, the third person of the Trinity, is, is referring to his perfection. And so the seven spirits of God, verse 5. But also we see, in terms of these seven lamps of fire, we see the idea of judgment and also of purity. God is the one who burns up his enemies, Psalm 97. And so we have then judgment, but fire purifies judgment and purity as well. And the final thing we would look at uh, in terms of God and his throne today is the sea. The sea. Did you notice this? Verse 6 of chapter 4. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now probably what John is, is seeing here is not like, you know, you go to the beach and you see the Atlantic Ocean or you see the Gulf of Mexico. Probably what this is referring to is the brazen laver, the brass laver in which the priests would wash before ministering in the temple. And that was a huge bowl. That was a huge, I mean, it was much bigger than, uh, you know, what we normally think of. This was not just a little cup or anything. This was a huge, a huge uh, bowl. And so we find here then the laver or the sea. But notice that it was a sea of glass like 
crystal. There's a sea of glass-like crystal. Now this points then to cleansing as the priest, of course, before they would minister in the temple, had to wash away their own sins. It would point to purity as well, as the throne with all its glory would be reflected in the crystal sea. I want you to think about that just a minute. Again, this is, this is nothing that Disney World can possibly recreate. Okay? This, I mean, just think about this, children. Just think about this. What a scene. What a sight this is. Seven lamps of fire. The, the, um, the, the two stones on the throne. And this sea, this huge container of water with water like crystal reflecting the entire scene. Can you imagine that? And so this is what John is seeing. And I'm sure if we were in his shoes, we would be overwhelmed. Well, I have three points of application today. The first is this. Appreciate the nature and worthiness of God. Appreciate the nature and the worthiness of God. God is the one who is absolutely in charge. He is absolutely in charge. He is fearful in his judgments, the fire and so forth, the lightning and the thunder. And yet, and yet, at the same time, he shows mercy toward his elect. He shows mercy because that rainbow is there, and indeed it is an emerald color. God is absolutely in charge in his judgments and in his mercy. Furthermore, in terms of his nature, he is thrice holy. Holy, 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 we read in verse 8. He is three times holy, pointing to the Holy Trinity. And you know, the only true God is Trinitarian. The only true God is Trinitarian. From all eternity, from eternity past, God has existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so appreciate the nature and worthiness of God, including the fact that he is absolutely glorious. He is absolutely glorious. Secondly, by way of application, remember that there is a necessity for our own selves to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we are saved not on the basis of our works. We are saved on the basis of the work and the blood of Jesus Christ, received by faith and faith alone. But if we have genuine faith in Jesus, we're going to show forth good works. We're going to display that holiness, that reflected holiness in our own lives. Our own sanctification is not a basis for salvation, but is a necessary fruit of it. And so as we start this new year, it's a time for reflection and to make sure that you indeed have faith in Christ. Remember that there is a necessity for our own selves to be holy. And thirdly, never forget 
that our ability to worship comes about only because of the Lamb who was slain. It comes about only because of the Lamb who was slain. That's why we're able to come before God and worship him. The beauty of holiness, which we see painted here for us in this chapter, came with a price. That price was Jesus' blood. It is only by means of a blood-red stream, his blood, that we get the crystal clear water. And so, my friends, never forget that our ability to worship comes about only because of the Lamb who was slain. And so, as we see, as John 4, may we indeed be led to worship. May we indeed cast ourselves before this glorious God. May we indeed give ourselves to his service service of the one sitting on the throne like a crystal jasper stone and a blood red sardius stone and with the emerald rainbow surrounding the throne amen will you please stand for prayer Now, Father, we thank Thee for what Thou hast done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that Thou wouldst be pleased to apply this message to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that Thy Spirit would plant the Word within each one. And we pray, Lord, that we would be given the grace to serve Thee in truth and sincerity. Again, Lord, accept our worship. For we pray this in Jesus' name.